Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judd and Mackey right now. Oh, easy. Easy there. Contractually, it's the other way around. I'm blaming MnDOT no matter what. Yeah, that'd be wrong. Well, I don't care. Well, you're a dum-dum. Get off the road, MnDOT. It's winter. Your time is done. You're wrong. You are through. We're going to fight. Mackey and Judd. Judd and Mackey? What was I thinking? Yeah. You're right, Phil. I owe you an apology. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm very sorry. <laughs> That's 10 seconds of why, by the way, Kenny, right there. <laughs> Seven yes. seconds. I hate Mendoza. Gotta go. Butler attacking against Turner. Takes all kinds of contact to Andrew. Except Jimmy Butler draws the foul and will head to the free throw line. First one ties it up. And the Timberwolves back on top with two and a half to go. Turner gets it in. Lillard forces it up for the win, and the Timberwolves escape. Unbelievable. Every night, you got to be ready to fight and scratch and, and win. And you got to make winning plays. And so um, I like the toughness that we had. We didn't go away. You know, things weren't going well. Uh, and we found a way to win in the end. Though. You know, the fourth quarter, it was the one time I thought we, we started to play defense. I'm taking a page out of Tom Thibodeau's book today, Playing with Toughness. Yeah. Grinding through less than ideal vocal conditions. Gravelly voice. That's right. I sound like Tom Thibodeau. Tease, Except don't tease. yell. Except don't yell. Yeah. Or else it'll really hurt. Uh, you, know, you and I both uh, were watching that game. I think it's sort of a conflicting feeling watching that game last night and a lot of games this year, but I think I've pinpointed it. And last night was a great microcosm of... It had all the components. It had you had a you had a really good Western Conference team at Target Center with superstars like Damian Lillard, uh, rising stars like C.J. McCollum. So you had the fourth quarter comeback component. Uh, you had the Jimmy Butler, Jamal Crawford dagger component. The where takeover. They're just, they, yeah, exactly. Yep. Stars taking over the game. All these fun elements mm-hmm. and a and a mostly packed house going crazy, but there still just felt. Like, it was something a little off and frustrating about it. And I think I've pinpointed the angst as to why, even though there are multiple games over 500 and are having some of these exciting wins, why even when they win, you feel sort of dirty watching it. And it's because deep down, you know that hero ball in the fourth quarter probably isn't sustainable as a blueprint for winning when the Rockets eventually come up on your schedule in Golden State. Like, right. you're not just going to be able to do that right, for two and a half hours of the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, you know what? It beats the last 15 years. It was fun it to watch. It beats the last 15 years. It was fun. Uh, so, so fourth quarter last night, Crawford 16 points, Butler 11, Towns 5. 32 points, that's your scoring. Andrew Wiggins last night in the fourth quarter, three minutes, 25 seconds, no points, nine points for the game. 
I think well, this all now. All you do is rip Wiggins wait, wait, wait. on the show. You can't just I, let it wait, go. I, you can't just let it in go. Wa- in watching this last night, and watching this the last couple weeks, I think this now goes beyond what what your concerns have been to this. It's getting worse and worse, and, and the only way I can put it with him right now is watching him. He looks completely lost, and he looks like the kid who basically decides, okay, when I get the ball, I'm going to shoot because I'm really not involved here. And I well, think he, he should get himself involved. Then. I agree with that. But but what I'm saying is I think this entire conversation goes back to a, a conversation that we've basically had for two years or three years now, which is he's not an, an alpha type of personality. And when you watch him play, it's it's as if Butler said for the first month or so, everyone's involved. I'm going to I'm going to make sure that Towns, Wiggins, everybody gets involved. And now Butler's sort of deciding, okay, it's time to win, and and I've done this for quite a while, so now I'm going to start to score. And guess what? People are going to have to follow me. And it's as if Andrew can't do it. And and his personality is such that it seems like he now gets the ball and he now shoots. But there's no structure there. This this is getting progressively worse. Uh, it not is better. Although I think you found at least a partial solution last night. Jamal Crawford went to the media, national. He went to multiple different places uh, the last few days. And, and he talked to John Krasinski about this, about his minutes load. That mm-hmm. up until this season, he had always played 20 to 30 minutes minimum per game. And uh, it was always if you know coming off the bench, but but playing at the end of games and and more of a focal point offensively. And he's averaging like 16 minutes per game this year. Uh, so I think you can kill two birds with one stone. And he was out of his mind last night. He scored a bunch of points. He scored like 18 points in the fourth quarter or something. 16. 16. 16 of his 23. So I think if you just... there's two, So three components. Get Jamal Crawford more minutes. And, and, and also let him play more in the fourth quarter. And if he's hot, ride him in the fourth quarter. Yep. Um, and... He can replace some of Wiggins' minutes, especially late in games, so you don't have Wiggins just taking 20-foot jump shots that clang off the back iron. Um, and while those, maybe while that minutes exchange takes place, you can work with Wiggins, ideally if you're the coaching staff, and explain, okay, your worst offense is 16 feet and out, and yet that's where you're taking the most shots. Yeah. So how about we transform your game Let's let we're gonna sit you for an extra five minutes because the way you're playing is not valuable to the team anymore. So yes. you're not gonna play forty minutes. You're gonna play like thirty minutes or thirty-two minutes. Yes. But we need you to be productive in those thirty or thirty-two minutes. So you're gonna drive to the hoop more often. And if you can't get to the hoop or get a shot up, you're gonna draw the defense in because they respect the fact that you can close at the rim. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna get three to five assists per night. You're gonna drive and dish and get rid of those long shots. Mm-hmm. But you're not gonna play as often until you master that. Jamal Crawford's going to go back to his accustomed 25 minutes and per play game. more, sure. Yeah. The the only thing here is, that's a great idea. I'm curious if the patience exists, though, to do it. It, see, it seems like the patience Tibbs, for, for Tibbs and Butler... Well, Crawford's a better player than Wiggins. No, 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 but, I, but I'm saying I'm saying the patience with, with Andrew to actually be... To actually be patient and say, okay, here's here's your role now, and we're going to, to work with you on this. Tibbs and Butler and this crew seem to me, and, and they're probably right, to be like, season started, it's December, let's get going. So my question is, do they have do they have the ability now or the want to actually do that, or is there just going to be frustration 
And rightfully so, they, they could just say, Jamal, we're playing you more. Well, what, what you just explained, if your instinct is right there, is a fireable coaching offense. Where, all right, hey, I know it's a six-month season, and this particular key player has lost his way even more than usual. So instead of helping that player find his way and I'm, finding exactly the process that best fits his skill sets, exactly you're going to bail on him? like He's going to make $30 million a year starting next year. So you might want to figure out how to make it more efficient if you're the coaching staff. All or I'm, you know what, if your Wiggins have some pride. And I would just say, in the meantime, Jamal Crawford... The, the guy is a cold-blooded sniper mm-hmm. who also has these streaky moments where he's taking bad shots, but I'm fine with him playing more in the fourth quarter and Wiggins observing. I, I was going to say <laughs> observing more from the bench. I was going to say three team, minutes last. Night. I was going to say team basketball, but that's not what you saw in the fourth quarter at all. So it was fun ob- observing and maybe contemplating um, how to improve his game. Four so. guy, four guys off the bench. Last night, 23 points. Yeah. All, you know all from Crawford, of course, but you still got 23 points from your bench. It was clunky. It was flawed. It was hero ball, but it worked last night, and there are multiple games over 500, and so, hey, it's the holiday season. Let's uh, let's get to that Christmas game and see what happens against the Lakers when uh, the TNT yeah. crew is going to broadcast. So. Ding, ding. As I lay in that, uh, that surgery bed eight weeks ago thinking about uh, this moment, uh, obviously saw it going a little differently, but uh, I'm proud of our guys for... The way they played the last few weeks. Uh, today, at this point, I didn't play very well. Ryan under center. Tosses Freeman right side. Needs a block. Gets it. 20, 15, 10. Freeman will walk into the end zone for the Falcon touchdown. Falcons win last night. A remarkable run is done. I did not recall that the Packers had not missed the playoffs since 2008. Yeah. So the so the Packers went to the playoffs 2008. Aaron Rodgers on their team. I know. You're not missing the playoffs with Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. A remarkable run uh, comes to to an end as the Packers were officially eliminated from the playoffs since uh, for the first time since since Rodgers' first season as a starter last night. Which leads to this question: Are Packer fans completely spoiled because they've been in the playoffs for so long, or are Packer fans have they been sold a little bit short? Because in that time, they have one Super Bowl title with arguably one of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. Honestly, you could fight either side of that argument and win. Yes, you, you could, could. You could say you could fight that they're spoiled because, hey, while other franchises like the Vikings, which are competitive almost every single year, have gone a half century and have never won a Super Bowl, or the Cleveland Browns, which can't even get to a playoff sniff, right? Like they'd, just, love, they'd love a playoff loss. They would love to just get to the first round and get smoked by five touchdowns. That's what those fans would love. So on the, on the spoiled front, you could say, guys, you've won two Super Bowls in the last two decades, and you've had 25-plus years of two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. So you could fight that side of the argument just as easily as you could fight the, well, yeah, but you've had two of the greatest quarterbacks for 25 years and only have two Super Bowls. The Ravens have two Super Bowls with Trent Dilfer and Joe Flacco yep. over that same stretch. Um, so is it a cop-out to say that it's both? I mean, well, it, it's both. They're spoiled and deprived. I feel this way. I feel that they're spoiled. They go to the playoffs almost every single stinking year. I feel Rodgers is deprived. So I don't feel I, – I feel nothing for a fan base that, that has, has multiple titles – uh, something that the Vikings don't have and have never gotten. But for Rodgers, I actually feel bad because this guy is fantastic. And when you look at what this team has surrounded him, him with far too many times, 
It's pathetic at times. And when he gets up there in Atlanta last year and bags Ted Thompson at the podium, says basically says, you've got to get me some more help. And they go out and they make some moves. They make a couple moves here and there. What, what was the one that you brought Martellus up? Bennett. Yeah. Come on. Hey, here's Martellus Bennett, who's going to sell out the doctors and it's get amazing. himself re- released. I don't feel bad for the fans at all. I actually feel for the quarterback. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes. It's a, but again, they win. They win. They probably won more games than any NFC team since he took over as starter. I haven't done the math on that, but... The only team that might be close, Seahawks. I was going to say Seattle, maybe. But maybe. even they were pretty bad the first couple years of Aaron Rodgers being in Green Bay. Yeah. So um, it's uh, it's both. Uh, looking at the NFC playoff picture, so you've got one Hall of Fame quarterback out, although he still might play this weekend. We're going to wait until probably Wednesday if you're Green Bay to make that official my, announcement. My spies tell me he desperately wants to play in this game. But the t- it might not be in the team's best interest. Oh, so that's going to be definitely not. But yeah. he but he might tell them. I want to play in this game, and then it's going to get very interesting wow. to see if they back off. Did they just sign the guy? They had a third-string yes, quarterback they that did. they booted. They just signed him back yesterday. Yes, they which did. Which would indicate they're not planning on playing Aaron Rodgers because they're going to put him on the roster. We all know that there's sometimes players on, on a roster who might come to a coach or GM and say, I don't really care what you think. I'm going to play, and then it's up to them to say, no, you can't. Well, they'll have to you know, deactivate him or put him back on injured reserve or something. And maybe that's um, the last straw, and then he opts out of his contract, and then, and then he comes to the purple <laughs> next year. He's wow. Keenum signs the yes. It's just great next wow. year. So uh, on the on the list of teams that are still fighting for those playoff spots, uh, the Falcons win last night. They're 9-5. and five. They have the sixth seed right now uh, with that 9-5 and five record. I think if you're the Vikings, you're rooting for – Maybe even the Lions to get in, so that I I want Russell Wilson out, and I, and Aaron Rodgers is already out. Yeah, he's gone. And if you could craft yeah. the perfect bottom end of that bracket, wouldn't you put the Lions in just in case? Like I always like the Lions. The Lions the playoff, sure. Yeah, they're because I mean, Stafford's good. They're not going to be uh, as big of a threat as Russell Wilson would be at you US Bank Stadium. Beat that defense, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, in honor of the Packers missing the playoffs and getting bounced after the Falcons won last night. We have usually we would wait until the second hour to release the track off songs by the U Log, mm-hmm. but uh, we we just can't wait. So much excitement! There is. Uh, this is uh, track number six off volume three, songs by the U Log. Merry Christmas, Packers fans. <laughs> The Packers are done. The Packers are done. McCarthy and Thompson are hoping now they won't be gone. The Packers are done. The Packers are done. McCarthy and Thompson are hoping now they won't be gone. A broken bone derailed their season. Losing Rodgers was the reason. His crappy teammates couldn't get the cheese into the playoffs this year. They've only got a quarterback. A solid defense is what they lack. Fans at Lambeau are going back to the concession stand for more beer. The Packers are done. The Packers are done. McCarthy and Thompson are hoping now they won't be gone.
Judd are back. The Emperor does not share your optimistic appraisal of the situation. On 1500 ESPN. Now, I came here to say something tonight. What do you want to tell us, Phil Mackey? You got something to tell us? I said, now, Vikings fans out there, I came here to say something tonight. Talk to us about those Purple Warriors. I need some good Vikings news. I just want to say, I just want to say, Vikings fans. Oh, sing it out loud, my man. What do you want to tell us, Phil? Now, bring it down here. Bring it down. Now, listen close. Hit it with it. Listen close. Merry Christmas, baby! The season hasn't turned out now. Oh, no. so wrong? Oh, no. Where? Merry Christmas, baby! The season hasn't turned out now. Oh, it started so well. So down. Just a few inches short. What are we short of? Of a trip to paradise. Oh, is that what you call Houston, Texas? I thought we were headed down there. It started out so bright. We won five in a row. It was beautiful. Bradford was oh. so good. It started out so bright. We won five in a row. Man, the Super Bowl. It's Adrian Peterson. But after the bye week, we really started to blow. Why'd you get so soft, Sam? Why'd the team go soft? Boy. The loss is amazing, gentlemen. What, uh, what 12 months will do yeah, to change a narrative, yes. right? Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Still uh, a great song. A track off last year's Volume 2 Songs by the U-Log. Matthew Collar is with us, and uh, he would like to sing for the next 40 minutes, actually. Just about the Vikings. He turned his headphones way down is what he did, and yeah. I don't blame him. Is that blood coming out of your ears right now? <laughs> Things have changed quite a bit, yeah. yeah. Uh, I got a tweet last night. That said, the Purple Podcast has been a little too cheery lately. Wow! It's like, well, the team is eleven and three. Well, there's, I, I think there's always an inherent doom and gloom feeling yeah, yeah. in the minds of Vikings fans. So that's that's the conflict right now. We had a conversation with Kevin Seifert yesterday. The 2009 team was the last one that really had a legit chance to win the Super Bowl, and we all agreed in our segment yesterday with Kevin. This is a better team than the 2009 team. Now we'll see if they can pay off what that team failed to pay off, but. It's a better defense. The offense, even though they don't have Brett Favre, is efficient. They move the ball. Um, so that's that's the territory we're in here, Collar. So every week I do a position-by-position position breakdown of whoever the opponent is. And, uh, of course, last week against the Bengals, the Vikings swept for the first time. But in almost every game, the Vikings are either dead even on every single position or better except for the quarterback when they played Cam Newton or when they played Matt Ryan. But even then, with the way Case Keenum has been playing, they've pulled even in that. And so you look at this roster overall, and it, you go back through the other Vikings' great teams in 2009. Like This is a better roster from top to bottom than a lot of the teams that win or go deep or a lot of teams in the, in the league from position to position who might have one big strength like mm-hmm. Russell Wilson and a defensive line. But if you were matching up against Seattle, for example, you would beat them on almost every other position outside of that. This is one of the strongest rosters that I can ever remember It really in the league. It's that stacked up. This is the first time in forever that this team is actually built in in a way 
that that should should make you feel confident because it's defense. If you think about it, the Vikings have have uh, going back to their best years in the last twenty been built around what offense, Favre, Moss. So the difference here is you're actually looking at a a team that that when you project it into the playoffs looks to be really really strong. The difference previously was you, you went into the playoffs and said. Okay, the offense is really good, but guess what? Offenses can be stopped. I can scheme and stop you. It's much tougher to sit down and scheme to say, I can beat that defense. And that, that to me, now I'm not assuring anything here because it's still this team, but that to me is the difference in that if you sit down for two weeks and say, we have to beat this team, you're not necessarily going to say, okay, if we run right at Joseph, it's going to work. No, it's not going to work. So there are a lot of things that won't work against this defense. Yeah, there is no one scheme that works against, I, I think, either part. The only way that I could see an opponent stopping the Minnesota Vikings offense is just pressuring Case Keenum with the front four consistently over and over and over again. And when they faced a really good defensive line in Carolina, they were able to do that, but the Vikings were missing most of their offensive line in that game, and now that line is healthy again. So we haven't seen the full offensive line for the Vikings match up with an elite defensive line. And when they go to the playoffs, there's a good chance that they will face one. I think you're going to have to get through Philadelphia at some point. And Philadelphia has, in my mind, top three defensive line. It's the Jaguars, the Vikings, and the Eagles. And then Seattle is right there in the top five, too. And, and then that's the one thing that they haven't proven that they can do because you go through their schedule and where's the other defensive line that's so magnificent? There, there really isn't one that they've faced, and that would be a big challenge. I think also linebackers give them a bit of a challenge. They haven't faced someone as good as Bobby Wagner, except Luke Keekley, who was a bit of a problem for them. The, uh, the Panthers linebackers gave them some issues with the screen game, but again, Pat Elfline wasn't in there, and you see how valuable he is. That's the only question remaining to me because I think this offense can adapt to almost any way uh, a defense is playing them. If you're trying to take away Adam Thielen, you could throw the ball to Stephon Diggs. If you're trying to take away the running game, you can go with the screen game. If they're trying to blitz, you can drop off short passes, and they've had a lot of success with that. And, and so I think on both sides of the ball, there is no blueprint to try and beat this team. Yeah, I was uh, I, I was just kind of scanning around. I listened to a national show for a while yesterday that shall go nameless, and because um, I don't remember the show, <laughs> but it was the host was going through. Like the kind of just spitballing the NFC playoff picture, and you know which team do you like most in the NFC? And well, I really you know it's possible that Drew Brees and the Saints might be the best team that no one's really talking about. And literally did three minutes and didn't mention the Vikings. And I'm not crying woe is us here. You know we'll fly over country. I think what happens around the country is, and maybe rightfully so, people look at the Vikings, the Rams, and the Eagles and see Jared Goff, Case Keenum. And Nick Foles now, and they think, I mean, those teams are really good, but there's no, there's no way they're going to beat Team A with great quarterback, Team B with great quarterback, uh, Tom Brady. Is that a fair dismissal of those three teams, including the Vikings, because of their quarterbacks? I mean, based on recent history, you go through the last 10 Super Bowls, and it's almost all elite quarterbacks. The only quarterback you would say on that list who at least at one time wasn't elite, because... Joe Flacco was in the very top tier at one point. He is not anywhere close to that over the last five years, but when that team reached the Super Bowl, he was playing really, really well. 
Colin Kaepernick would probably be the only one. And even at that time, he had a very unique skill set with the read option stuff. And we know that he has the talent to be in the NFL. There's the the other things that have caused him not to be in the NFL. Outside of that, it's several Mannings. It's Roethlisberger, it's Brady, it's Matt Ryan, it's Cam Newton, it's guys who win the MVP. Mm -hmm. So when you look at recent history over the last 10 Super Bowls, you would say, yeah, you got to go back quite a ways before you get Rex Grossman in a Super Bowl or before you get Trent Dilfer (laughs) winning one. Thank God, by the way. It, It just doesn't happen a whole lot anymore, and that's what would hold me back a bit. Uh, and also, the, I mean, the fact that Drew Brees isn't just Drew Brees with a mediocre team. They have built that team up really well. So their defense is now good. Cameron Jordan probably doesn't get enough attention on defense for being one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL. Marshawn Lattimore has come in as a rookie and become a top-notch shutdown corner. So they can actually play some defense now. And Elvin Kamara has completely changed their offense. You know, I, I was looking up some numbers on the short passes and how Case Keenum throws basically the shortest completions in the league. Or he's up in that top five. And most of the other quarterbacks are ahead of him. But Drew Brees is there, too, because he's dumping it off to these two running backs over and over and over again. So they've taken a lot of pressure off of him offensively and given him a better offensive line. I think they are the best team in the NFC. But the Vikings are so stacked that it it, it does open the door for them bucking that trend. And to Phil's point, I'd be thrilled because it, because what's going to get attention around the country is this. Offensive firepower, right? 98, Randy Moss and the Vikings, let's talk about him. 2009, Brett Favre is, is there, let's talk about him. If I'm the Vikings, I'm privately thrilled because I know I know that the one thing that's going to give me a real chance is my defense, and people aren't going to talk about it. People are not. You you could sit there and talk about Xavier Rhodes all day, day long, and guess what? People tune out. They you know ah cornerback that's great. That's but this Vikings team. My point is this: we're not used to in this town seeing a team built this way. But this is the thing: without a great QB, with a good QB and, and a very efficient offense, this is what gives you a shot because you get to the playoffs. And if you get there and and you know get the bye, your first playoff game, you're counting on giving up what 14 points probably. So it might not be sexy, but. I'd be thrilled to be ignored because that that means that my formula has worked. And just because it's not built around a QB, which you just don't have a great one, he's been good, I'd be privately very happy about that. Uh, well, I think that probably doesn't matter one way or the other what the national people are saying about it. It doesn't, but my, po- but my point is that's why. Because they don't sit down and say, let's talk oh, about Vikings yes. defense. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, They say, let's talk about quarterbacks, and that d- right. that doesn't come back here. But I'd be fine with that. But, but I, th- I mean, I think it's fair. Anybody who says, without the great quarterback, you can't go to the Super Bowl, I think that's a fair comment. Because you have to go back <laughs> so far before somebody made it with a great team. And Rex Grossman is literally the last example yeah, that except has happened Pey- in the NFL. Peyton with the Broncos was not a great quarterback at that point. That defense was very good. Yeah, I agree with that. But it was also an all-time great defense, which this Vikings defense is not. This defense is very good, but it is not all-time great. Uh, it, I mean, where do they rank right now? I think they're, they're second sec- in yards second per play allowed. Point, second in yards per play that's good. That's really, really good. And they don't get the turnovers that some of the all-time defenses do, although they might be due for a turnover spree at some point. It started against the Bengals. Well, Andy Dalton helps when he throws it right Right. to Eric Hendricks. (laughs) Like, 
I that mean, was a great play, though. Yeah, no, it was great read. Well, Kendricks is really good. Uh, he's just really quick. I mean, because on that play, he lines up like he's going to rush the passer, and he even takes a full step in toward rushing the passer. So Dalton just assumes that he's there and he's blocked, and then all of a sudden he's ten yards back because he's got really quick feet and he's very good in coverage. And uh, you know, that's one of the things that Zimmer does all the time is. It's not only just that you have a lot of talent on defense, but he uses the the talent to throw off what everybody is is looking at pre-snap. And I, I noticed that so much against the Rams, how Harrison Smith would wait until the Rams clearly had their call in as they were doing their no huddle. Okay, they've got their call in. Jared Goff does his reads, and then all of a sudden Harrison Smith is somewhere else. And I asked Zimmer about it, and he said, basically quarterbacks are dropping back thinking they have one thing with the safeties, and then they realize as they're dropping back that that's no longer there. Yeah, and if you're Jared Goff and you haven't processed NFL defenses for 10 years, it's harder for you to make that adjustment. Uh, I, against, I, think against, I think it's hard for everybody. I think Matt yeah. Ryan struggled with it. I mean, I think we've seen Aaron Rodgers struggle with it. I looked at the tape of Week 2 last year, uh, Aaron Rodgers against this team. There were times where they did that same thing with Kendricks, where Rodgers made that read and then had to bail out and throw the ball away. I mean, I, I think it's so good with the talent that you have because there aren't many guys who can pull off some of these things. There aren't many guys like Harrison Smith who can be moving at the snap and still adapt or or, or close so quickly. You know, he, he might be looking like he's going to be the deep safety and then just move up toward the line and close on a screen pass or something like that. And that's where it would give you some confidence that you can beat elite quarterbacks in the playoffs. It's just if you have to face three in a row, can you really do it? Can you really beat three elite quarterbacks in a row? Yeah, and they're gonna maybe get a chance. Although if Russell Wilson misses the playoffs too, they might they might like if the Lions sneak in, they might get a break with some of those uh, bottom end of the bracket teams. Let's come back and talk more about the Vikings sitting here. Chance still an outside chance for the number one overall seed, but it looks like they're gonna be locked in to that two seed. Matthew Collar from the Purple Podcast, fifteen hundred ESPN.com. We'll get his thoughts on Case Keenum. Up to this point and going forward, Mackey and Judd. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Truly outrageous, egregious, and offensive. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. As I lay in that, uh, that surgery bed eight weeks ago, thinking about uh, this moment, uh, obviously saw it going a little differently. But uh, I'm proud of our guys for the way they played the last few weeks. Uh, today, at this point, I didn't play very well. I mean, it feels awesome. Um, this, is, this is uncharted territory for me, so... I don't take it lightly. You know, I think uh, we've got a special group of guys, and I've, I've said it all year long, but uh, you know, to, to come through and, and to win when we needed to, um, especially after last week, I think, uh, I think it was special. To do it at home in front of our crowd, man, that, uh, that crowd is awesome. And uh, to guarantee a, a home playoff game there, um, it's, I, I can't imagine. I have a feeling it's going to be even more amped up. Vikings Packers, Saturday night. Collar and I will be there. Uh, Case Keenum, sir. Are you seeing MVP-wise, vote-wise? Top five, you think? Oh, I wouldn't put him top five on his own team. He's going to get votes. He's going to get votes. I mean, is that, is that, okay, wrong? When, when, is that wrong to here's say the thing. that I wouldn't put him top five MVP on the Minnesota Vikings? So let's. this is a really interesting... What you just said is interesting because saying that People are driving off the roads like, who's this idiot? Case Keenum has been the reason why the Vikings have thrived to an 11-3 record. I mean, that's that's the general consensus, but you guys agree among the fan base. So when they hear youth cast shade upon him like that, 
They think you're an idiot and want to know when you're moving back to Buffalo. I mean, when 77% of his yards against Cincinnati came after the catch, and he's one of the highest in the NFL at yards after catch. He has two of the best wide receivers in the NFL. He's got a brilliant offensive line. They have Harrison Smith, who is the defensive MVP of the league in my mind. They have Everson Griffin, who has been dominant. I mean, it, it's just hard for me to look at this and say that this winning has come because of a quarterback's great performance. I mean, he's been very good with what he's been asked to do, and he's won a lot of games, mm-hmm. as you should with a team that is stacked at every single position and has a brilliant offensive coordinator. I, I bet you he's top five. I mean, I, I think that, I, I bet you when it comes out, he's top five. You know what that reminds me of is like in hockey, where some team will have the best record in the league, but they'll give it to a team that barely makes the playoffs, or give it to the coach of a team that barely makes the playoffs because mm-hmm. they thought they weren't going to. Like, we thought that Case Keenum wasn't going to do this good, so he's the MVP. Well, yeah. I mean, he's not the MVP. Tom Brady has over four thousand yards and a hundred and four quarterback rating. I mean, it's him. Tom Brady should be the MVP. How would you but rank, it'll be like LeBron where they got to get it to somebody else. How would you guys rank, let's start with Collar on this, uh, just off the top of your head, Vikings MVP ballot. Uh, let's go five spaces, and if you want to go beyond that Ooh. to get to Keenum, then fire away. Harrison Smith is number one for me. I think he is a top ten player in the entire NFL. Every single position, he is top ten. I think he is that good. And, and that's it. If, on TV, you just do not see the things that Harrison Smith does, but you do see him blowing up plays. You do see him getting key interceptions. They would have lost probably two more games if he doesn't get key interceptions. I mean, they get the game against Chicago, he wins that game by himself, basically. So he's number one for me. I would put... See, <laughs> see Adam Thielen deserves to probably be number two. This is really tough. But I need, like, a Thielen Diggs. I just started to... Because when Diggs was out, Thielen got a little more attention, and mm-hmm. it was more difficult for him. He was still good, mm-hmm. but he's at his best when he's got Diggs with him. So I think I got like a joint Thielen Diggs. Like when Favre and Barry Sanders want it, I'll go Thielen Diggs. Okay. Um, I don't. I, I think Everson Run Griffin. President. Everson, Everson Griffin might be right after that. He has just been dominant, and quarterbacks have no chance. If you're going to go Thielen Diggs, I'm going to go Reef Elfline. A reef okay, outline, yeah. left tackle center stability well, doesn't happen no, often with no, this franchise. That, I'm splitting those two for that, sure. That's the thing okay. is like, can I have the offensive line as <laughs> one? No, no, um, no. Reef, Give five names. This reef is great. has been reef has been an absolute game changer, and I think we really saw what Pat Elfline does uh, this week, where when he was out, they couldn't get the screen pass going. They couldn't run up the middle at all against Carolina, and they rely a lot on running up the middle and gaining four, five, six, and then every once in a while hitting a big one. Because that sets up everything that they do on play action. Um, can Pat Shermer be the MVP? I, th- I mean, let's put Assistant him on. Assistant of the I year. Mean, He's been incredible. He, he is the he coordinator of the year. He's How about that? Why we'll is it, too, award. just to hold on, pause this again. Why is it we can have this conversation, and I can I, I can already hear if I were to go through Twitter, if, if we were to put this on Twitter, Yep. a large chunk of Vikings fans are so protective of Case in this conversation we're sitting here giving all this credit to like eight to ten different entities. In fact, and it's always taken as a slight to Case Keenum. In fact, you know? Justin, there's no, there's a, it's a no-win conversation. Justin Collar dumbs down your show so much. This guy, George my point. says, that's my yeah. point. No, I. It's funny because I, I firmly believe that Keenum is going to be in in the top five when the when it comes out. But I see your point. Like you start to write down names of five guys on on this team. 
And it's difficult. It's really difficult. This defense has been so good, and, and the offense has has so many contributors. It is really tough to come up with five names and say that's just going to be it. Well, what's strange to me is why this concept is so tough for some people who really want to believe in Case Keenum. And, and I believe that Case Keenum could take them to the Super Bowl. I think the roster and the coaching staff is that good that they could go to the Super Bowl with him as their quarterback. But... If you look around the league, you see this happen all the time. And the best example for me is Derek Carr last year. Derek Carr was being talked about as an MVP. They paid him $125 million, right, or 120, whatever it was, $125 million. He had a great season, 96 quarterback rating, 28 touchdowns, six picks. He was great. Oh, he's this great leader. He's a great person. He feeds homeless people and carries babies or whatever, you know, whatever it is. That's really kisses lots babies. To do. Yeah. I mean, he's okay, a very busy he kisses guy. Babies. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I didn't, you know, whatever. And this year he's This bad. is a tough climate to be doing anything to babies that might be untoward or perceived to be bad. <laughs> so just be careful. Um, <laughs> cares about children. That's tough too. This year he's bad. <laughs> this year he's bad, right? I mean, he's not having a good season. He's only got 20 touchdowns. His quarterback rating's 88. He's 20th in the league in rating. Andy Dalton in 2015 has a quarterback rating of 106, which is higher than anyone this year. That was Andy Dalton just two years ago. You saw him play, right, on Sunday? You saw how bad oh. he is? I mean, this is the thing. I'm not sure he was playing. That, that the supporting cast, the offensive coordinator, the offensive scheme, the offensive line, when Andy Dalton was that good, he's got a Hall of Fame left tackle, and he's got a right guard who made like 50 million bucks in free agency. It's a little bit like Scottie Pippen Bulls. Scottie Pippen, a very good player, and then this, and that might be a stretch because he's a Hall of Fame caliber player. But you take him out of that environment, put him with the Blazers, and okay, he's not Michael Jordan. Oh, interesting. Okay, he's he's clear, but his but performance is elevated when you're in a Lamborghini, as Case Keenum put yeah, it he's, he said uh, on NFL Network the other day. Well, and even Matt Ryan, you see how much even even elite quarterbacks are impacted by the quality of their team and by the quality of their offensive scheme that Matt Ryan loses his brilliant offensive coordinator, Kyle Shanahan. Man, I would bet I would put money on the 49ers in the future. Garoppolo looks pretty good, and yeah. Shanahan is a genius. He's good. So it won't matter if Garoppolo's that good. But his quarterback rating last year is 117, which is one of the all-time highest, if not the all-time highest. Mm -hmm. This year it's 92, and they barely beat the Bucks last night. He's still a great quarterback. You still see him making great plays, but their supporting cast... Their scheme, it's not the same, and here we are and watching the, a quarterback fluctuate massively and over the a year. And the Vikings did a magnificent job in that game of, of making him uncomfortable the entire time. And I don't think they had a sack that day. That's the thing about this this defense that impresses me so much. You can't. I don't think you, you can completely scheme for it. I think there's certain things that you, that you can go after, but Smith is so good and so smart. And it, it, as you talked about, they move so many things around that they make it impossible for quarterbacks to say, this is definitely what, what I'm seeing. I, and I think that's the most important thing, Collar. I think the most important thing is when the quarterback gets to the line, can he definitively say, okay, I know what the defense is going to do, or do they start to change things? And I think if you start to change things, it changes the entire uh, complexity. So I'm going to keep throwing devil's advocate because I uh, here's the thing. Here's my stance. I think Case Keenum is a conditionally good quarterback, and there's a lot of conditionally good quarterbacks where 
I mean, Andy Dalton is a conditionally good quarterback. Derek Carr is probably the same thing, where if you put him in the right circumstances, they're going to thrive to some extent. But then there's that next level of Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, where almost any conditions, they're going to raise the water level of everybody else. I think it's fair to say that. Uh, But Hugh Johnson points out, he usually rips Judd, he's ripping Collar right now on Twitter. Go back a month and you'll hear Matthew Collar praising Tampa Bay for finding the open guy to get uh, yards after the catch, or I'm sorry, uh, Teddy Bridgewater, for finding the open guy to get yards after the catch. Today he holds yards after the catch against Case Keenum. No, 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 no. In, incorrect, incorrect. We're talking about two very, very, very different situations in 2015. Someone just called now. you a shock jock on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. That's great. has been wrong. That's great. Before, no, by the way, too, I don't Matthew. think you're. I don't think you're a shock. No, jock. no, but it's you're talking about a very, very different situation. I mean, in 2015, you had a running back who refused to catch the ball out of the backfield or block ever. You had an offensive line that was led by Matt Khalil and TJ Clemmings, two abominable NFL players, right? How they paid Matt Khalil is still completely beyond me. You had <laughs> a wide receiver, uh, who one good wide receiver who was not good in that situation, not a good fit at all. And then Stephon Diggs just starting his career barely. And then Kyle Rudolph, who was exactly what he is. This is my whole point about Teddy Bridgewater and how impressed I was with what he had to deal with in 2015 to get that team to 11-5 and and to get that team to 16th in the league in scoring was impressive. But that's how hard it is to evaluate quarterbacks. I mean, that speaks to my entire point is that when you're talking about so much different situations, you are not on the same playing field. So when you compare, oh, well, he did this, he had this many touchdowns, he had that many touchdowns. Well, I mean, that that can be impacted by so many things, including, by the way, does do you give, I mean, when touchdown passes, do you give a quarterback a ton of credit for throwing it one yard to a wide open guy in the end zone? I mean, does that is that really indicative of whether he's good or not? If they had handed it to Latavius Murray and he slammed the ball in, or you drop it off to David Morgan or Kyle Rudolph for one yard, is that you're a good quarterback or no, not? Because I, I mean, I, yeah, that's how I, people look at it. It's it's I agree. Fans are very protective here, of Case Keenum. In, here's in my problem cities. here. We are in a day and age of superstar need. We de- we are so conditioned if a team offensively is good to say it's got to be the quarterback, right? What I don't get is why can't we spread the credit around? The offensive coordinator's been brilliant. The quarterback's been really really good and that's great. That's that's great. Your your running backs have been fantastic. Your wide receivers, your your line. We have this need to be like it's got to be case a lot of things. Let's take a quick break here. We're up against the clock. Matthew Collar hanging out with us. Talking Vikings 11 and 3, 651 646 8255. Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd are back. Show me what you got. On 1500 ESPN. Shotgun for Keena. Keena throws. Enzo. It's caught by Diggs. Touchdown, Vikings. Yeah, that was Case Keenum throwing a touchdown pass to Stefan Diggs, Matthew Collar, in case you missed it. So, you know, yeah, he's got 20 of those this year, and all you do is cash shade upon him. You know what? That's fine. I'm going to say this. You hater. I'm going to say this about, <laughs> about Diggs. I want to see a little bit more now. Like, he, he caught the, the touchdown on Sunday. But, you know, pre-groin injury, he had two really big uh, days. And he's caught passes, but I want to see a big breakout yards game yeah, from yeah, him. I yeah. think he, I think he, he's a guy who, when I get in the playoffs, I want to see him put together a hundred yard receiving day. 
That's what I want to see yeah, from him. Okay. I mean, I think with these, with Thielen and Diggs, it's kind of whoever's week it is. Mm-hmm. And it, it does seem that Case Keenum may turn more to Thielen now at times, or maybe they scheme a little more toward Thielen at times. But Diggs has still come up with big plays, not just the touchdown on Sunday, but the one I think of is the one against Detroit where if you give the ball back to Detroit at the end of that game, there might be a chance, especially with Matthew Stafford, that he's just got that skill for going down and scoring game-tying or game-winning touchdowns. If you give that back to him, you might be in trouble there. And he comes up with a, he what was it, 45 or yeah, no. 50, 50-yard reception. Yep. So, you know, I think with him, uh, I I don't look at his raw stats, especially since he's been hurt this year. I'm just year. turning up the pressure a little bit, okay? Yeah, yeah, okay. Just turning I mean, up that pressure. It, it's one of those Playoff things Playoff time's coming, Collar. You, you wouldn't be surprised if some team decided, you know what, we're... Because I think a lot, what I see on tape is a lot of teams are scheming for Diggs because I think they believe Diggs is the better wide receiver. And... I think by a very, very slight margin, he's a little more skilled. But, I mean, very, very slight. Both of them are top 20 wide receivers. So I think teams, and maybe it's because Thielen is white. I don't know. That maybe teams are like, we're not buying into this yet with him. We're going to focus on Diggs. That Thielen has a little more success with some of his matchups, and they just continue to go his way. But, I mean, you could see either one breaking out for a 100-yard game at any time. Hey, real quick, uh, like two, two and a half minutes left here. Uh, if you're going to rank the, the – if the playoffs started today, rank the NFC teams that you would least like to face if you're Mike Zimmer and the Vikings, the teams that would have the best chance to either come into U.S. Bank Stadium or if you had to go to Philadelphia, uh, let's say if the seating held up, rank rank the teams. Um, let's see. I would go New Orleans, I think is the strongest team in the NFC. And then I would say the Rams are right behind them. A lot of this depends on where you play. Man, if the Vikings were able to clinch home field throughout, be like, who can really beat this team at U.S. Bank Stadium? Yeah. Uh, but the, the Rams are right behind them. They didn't beat the Vikings when they played, but if you saw what they did to Seattle, they can adjust. They're very good. Yeah, yes, they, they can are adjust. Very, very talented. Um, and then I think Philadelphia and the Vikings are right on, like a dead heat. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they look at each other in the mirror. Now that Nick Foles is the quarterback for Philadelphia, I would have said before Carson Wentz gives them an advantage. But now that it's Foles, and by the way, anybody notice Nick Foles being really good the other day? Could that have something to do with his supporting cast? I'm just saying. Yeah, it's funny. Like when Nick Foles had supporting <laughs> cast a few years ago, he was 27 but, touchdowns, two interceptions. And then when he gets away from the supporting cast, so, goes to uh, the Rams, it's a disaster. And, and of, of course, both Case Keenum and Nick Foles played for Jeff Fisher, who clearly the league passed him by a long time ago. Yes. And he kept having a job. And so they probably both of those quarterbacks were never as bad as they looked under Jeff Fisher and are not as good as they look with these fantastic teams. Um, And then after that, it's kind of like, well, Seattle, I don't really trust Seattle because the team is so weak without Richard Sherman and without Cam Chancellor and without an offensive line. And then uh, what Atlanta, Carolina, I mean, Carolina beat the Vikings. They needed a lot to go their way. And I think they don't have any wide receivers. So they would still have a tough time. Are the Vikings really going to give up a 60-yard run for a touchdown again to a 39-year-old running back? He's not that old, but you, you, right. I mean, so I, I mean, I would even put them sort of in that same category with Atlanta and Seattle. <coughs> Excuse me, as I hack off the air here. Uh, quickly, Rams and Saints would 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 scare me the most here because they're they could offensively have a, a good chance. I think Carolina comes here. I think it's tough for them. And I'm not sure, Cam. I think Cam starts to get frustrated here and the noise and the pressure. 
Um, but if Breeze or the Rams, I would be, I, I would think would, would have a chance because indoors, offenses, those to me would, would be the yeah. toughest ones to play here. Uh, if you want to read more of Matthew Collar's shock jockey takes, you can go to 1500ESPN.com and uh, the Purple Podcast. Journalist, <laughs> just, uh, you know, another tweet comes in. No, uh, Vikings finally get a good quarterback, and you bleep on him by saying that other players around him make him good. It, it is. It's not. It's explaining his success. It's explaining they don't why hear, they don't want to hear explanations. It's explaining why he was not good before, and now he's had a lot of success. You aren't wrong. Hold your head high as you walk out of the studio, Matthew. Uh, let's come back, Judd. We're going to do our pecking order in about fifteen minutes, but uh, Vikings MVP conversation. Let's let's go back to that and this let's rank really our Vikings MVPs. It's Mackie and Judd.